morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. I'm Dave Burse. I'm the host of this podcast and founder of inspiration company Additive. This is the last of our Assorted Nuts special edition podcasts and I've saved someone very special for this final one. She's an amazing lady who's only ever had one job. She's produced some jaw-dropping work. She's a competition fencer and she's this year's president of DNAD. She is, of course, Rosie Arnold. In her role as both president of DNAD and deputy executive creative director of BBH, she's pretty busy, as an understatement. But she very kindly made time to speak to me a few months back, and uh, that's where I found that she's also from my hometown of Glasgow. I wasn't expecting that. She's the lady who asked Jules to show the work in progress at the DNAD's 50th anniversary evening, so please be upstanding for the president. Here comes Rosie Arnold. I was in BBH um, just a few months ago interviewing Sir John Hegarty, and now I'm back again with, I believe your title is uh, Deputy Executive Creative Director and DNAD President, Rosie Arnold. Good morning, Rosie. Hi there, hi. <laughs> now, you've got one of the quickest work histories in the industry. It's simply worked at BBH. Um, could you expand on that for us? How did you get started? And, and, and why haven't you left? Um, well, I'm probably one of the luckiest people on the planet. I'd been doing a work placement at CDP and I was back at art school. It was a Christmas and somebody from CDP rang me up and said, this tiny little hotshot, BBH, is looking for some freelance um, work over the Christmas break. Um, I think you'd be great go and see John Hegarty and all my portfolio was up in a DNAD student exhibition and it was pre-computers or anything so um, John had sort of said yep I'll interview tomorrow morning nine o'clock uh, DNAD said you cannot have your portfolio back because it's up in an exhibition so I spent all night redrawing the whole of my portfolio <laughs> so I was up all night and uh, went to see John and I did that sort of classic thing of thinking oh I better dress smart for a job interview so I basically turned up with this quickly drawn portfolio looking like Princess Diana <laughs> at the time and John said he nearly didn't hire me because he thought I was too middle class <laughs> but fortunately for me he did um, and I had some work on VW, uh, Audi VW we had a, the fleet um, brief then which went through and I ended up making a campaign for that and I just carried on you know even though I went back to art school in the January I just carried on um, doing work for them to the point where I was sort of moonlighting at BBH and at art school and John offered me a job which was brilliant <laughs> but I was like at that stage I was like uh, well I'm just a couple of months off my degree so I could abandon everything but I spent four years doing it so I finished my degree while carrying on to work at BBH and I started the Monday after I'd finished doing my art school course so I'm the luckiest oh girl on the planet and the reason I've never left is because uh, I'm absolutely motivated by creativity and the idea and why would you leave BBH everybody who's here is about the power of creativity clients come here because they want great creativity and um, yes I suppose I could have gone for more money more power or whatever but um, I kind of always felt you get used to that really quickly, but but what I couldn't abandon was that love of really good creative work. Yeah, and it was so DNAD was kind of partly responsible for you getting started here in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely, because um, when I was at art school, they didn't have advertising courses, and in fact, I was at Central, um, Central St Martins, and um, they were rather sniffy about advertising, and so to get a portfolio. Um, 
I actually went to the DNAD evening classes, which at that time, you know, you went to different agencies, they set your brief the week before. So I'd been doing that for a few months before I got the placement at CDP. But it was absolutely down to DNAD and a wonderful woman called Judy Smith, who was working at CDP, who helped mentor me. So that's how I got into the business. Wow. So, so who was creative director at CDP at the time? Oh my God, now you're asking. Um, I think it was uh, John Salmon. He was so lofty, though, I didn't really get to meet him. There was <laughs> Graham Fink was there, and Nigel Rose, and uh, Judy Smith, and Pete Matthews, and various odds and bods, but they were the people I'd sort of remember. Yeah, and, and Graham's over in China now. Do you see that as a, as a big area of growth over there? Yeah, I think it's great he's gone to China. I mean, you know, last year China won the Grand Prix at Cannes for the print work, JWT, on the Samsonite, which was just just beginning to show you that, you know, we've always been very proud of being the centre of creative excellence, I suppose, in the UK, but, you know, increasingly, when you look at the really great work, it comes from all markets. You never know where next is going to come from. In fact, DNAD this year, uh, there was a couple of silvers for Columbia. So, you know, it's really it's yellow pencil, I should say. So, um, you know, it's, it is fascinating. Goodness. So what, what do you think this year from the awards, what was the big standout piece of work for you? Well, I think they're still going on. We've still got can to go. Um, I, I think the thing that I'm finding really interesting is the move towards creativity doing good in the world. And so the pieces from Colombia, which were about trying to tempt gorillas um, back into society, um, was, was outstanding. I think it's called Rivers of Light. Um, and there was also a really spectacular digital piece for Greenpeace, which was so beautifully executed. And it's where you can buy a little bit of the Greenpeace Rainbow Warrior, you know, so you can buy a nut or a bolt or, you know, a massive... I don't know if you saw that work, but, you know, I think that was outstanding work. Um, I've obviously got to say, and I really do believe it, I think the um, Guardian work from BBH is fantastic. You know, you do get kind of involved with your own agency's stuff, of course. <laughs> um, you know, so there's, there's lots of great stuff out there. How easy is that to judge, then, if you've got a bit of an agenda? Do you find it hard to stand back and, uh, and judge it fairly? Well, you don't, you're not allowed to judge yeah. on your own work, so it's not an issue. Um, you, know, <laughs> you can't have people because, of course, mine's best, you know, or whatever. Yeah, no, no, you can't do that. So, yeah, you know, when I when I started in the industry, I did a very similar thing where I um, I went into my first day as a creative, wearing a three-piece suit and carrying a briefcase because I didn't know. I just didn't know, and and kind of stumbled into it. And after uh, two days of ridicule, that was it. It was jeans and and, and today's shorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think I've ever worn that outfit again. <laughs> So what was it that attracted you to the advertising industry in the first place? I suppose in the 80s it was considered to be like the best stuff on telly and yeah. things. What was that? Um, well, I think I, I sort of started off by thinking I was going to be the next female Picasso and then realised I didn't really have that talent, even though I loved art, and got practical because um, I thought I'm going to have to make a living. Um, it's really, it's a long, this is a long story, because at that stage I'm this sort of in-between generation of women where... I was brought up really to be a great mother and wife and raise a family and I wasn't really expected to have a job. I as my dad died when I was little, I don't come from a wealthy background and I didn't want to be somebody living off my partner. So I, I was quite strong about it and I was driven by art, I just wanted to do art. And then when I got to art school I realised that very few people make it as an artist, make a living for themselves. So I thought, I know, I'll do graphics because then you get paid for doing kind of arty stuff. And um, so I, I majored on graphics, got to Central, where I was really disappointed because I thought you wrote the book or you invented the game um, and, and then you did the typography, the design, the photography, you know, everything. And when I realised that actually at that stage you just were a, a specialist in one of those disciplines, I felt 
sort of cheated and I was kind of very I sort of nearly went back to fine art actually I did a lot of etching and um, got really involved with Norman Ackroyd who's the most incredible lecturer um, but I still had this kind of it was still about ideas 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 and it was my then boyfriend now husband said if you're interested in ideas why don't you look at advertising and so he pointed me in direction of um, the DNAD annual and I got into the library and I opened the annual and I was like oh my god this is brilliant this is what I want to do because it's like it was everything and you had a chance to do film and print and you know everything and um, I just looked up all the work that I liked noted down the people responsible for it and then I pestered them until they saw me showed them my portfolio which was full of fine art and that's when Judy Smith went I think you should do a few test ads first <laughs> and that's when I sort of got involved with DNAD but it was like a duck to water I absolutely loved it and I'm still completely thrilled by ideas and you know they're still the thing that makes me buzz. So if you hadn't get into advertising would you have pursued the art a lot, a lot more? Yeah in fact I took a sabbatical a few years ago and I went back to the Royal College of Art and did a personal art project so um, the problem is I make three-dimensional objects and I need a lot of kit to do that. So it was wonderful to be back at uh, art school where I had all the technicians and things. But I, I paint, I do, I'm, I, I, yeah, I've, I've got an, an irrepressible desire to make things and do, do that side. So, I, you know, if, if you speak to me, I've just did a wicker course. I've been making large wicker <laughs> animals for the garden. <laughs> wicker weaving so you know just there's always something I'm on to you know yeah, yeah. now obviously it, it's you, you're one of the sort of uh, unusual um, people in, in the creative industry being being female mm. <laughs> and, and there's a real terrible sexual imbalance within the, the industry within creative departments um, why is that and what can we do to, to even out that balance I'm asked this all the time at the moment and it's 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 difficult to put your finger on why because it is a fantastic job. Um, it was sexist when I started. It was like Mad Men, um, and you know I, I feel, you know, that I've been at the, the front edge of things changing all the time. So you know, yes, I was one of the first female creatives. I was one of the first ones to actually have children and then come back. Um, and I'm hoping that my role as president of DNAD will encourage more women to come into it. I think it's a, there's all sorts of reasons. I think it's a very intimate job being a creative. And you, you, you know, when you talk about your ideas, you're actually putting yourself out there. And it's, you know, if people keep knocking it back, I think women find that quite difficult. Um, and the other thing I have to constantly, the thing I have to watch with myself all the time is not being the peacemaker. So going in with an idea and then everybody chips in and pulls it apart and either not getting destroyed by that or not letting the idea be destroyed by giving away too much. So I'll go in and go, what are the points that I really know will kill this idea if I give them away? So that's something I have to sort of gird myself to do. I've, I started working with a girl and we split up after a while because it wasn't working. Um, and then I worked with a guy and I think that helped me because I think you know the two different um, sort of mentalities actually did work better for me. So I think it's very hard to be a girl team. We have got girl teams here who are doing brilliantly. Um, but I think it is harder because of those kind of emotional reasons about how you hang on to an idea and how you fight for it and how you don't become a peacemaker. And, and a thought that recently occurred to me was if you think about the films that women like and the activities women enjoy, they're very different from what guys like. And 
primarily on the awards juries, you've got a load of guys. So they, so no wonder the Nikes and the sports and the football ads tend to sweep up at awards. So I think we need to redress that balance because the work you create is isn't going to appeal to the juries. If, if you know, if and also if we're appealing, it's, I think it'd be I'm quite interested to trawl through all the brands and see how many brands aimed at women win awards and how many brands aimed at men win awards because it's it is quite a different sensibility. So. And I think your career progresses if you win awards. So if you're doing great work but it's not being recognised, then you're not going to win awards and then you're not going to be recognised. So I think we need to look at that. And I did actually, without really making a song dance about it, um, try and dial up the number of women we had on the DNAD jury this year. And I actually think we got to 40%, which was quite a big difference, yeah. In about three weeks' time, I'm speaking at a, a women's conference. I'm, I'm the token man <laughs> <laughs> talking at this conference. So um, I don't know if you know She Says... Yes, um, but yes, that's yes. A, a wonderful conference. Yeah, that's Laura, she's great, yeah. 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 Now, you've been DNAD president now for, for this last nearly a year. Uh, yes, yeah, September I started, yeah. yeah. Um, what's, been, what's been your focus during that period? Well, it's the 50th anniversary of DNAD, so it's a huge privilege and honour to be president. I still can't quite believe it, you know, if you said that to my lady die self all those years ago, <laughs> fallen off the chair. So, lots of things. Um, I've mentioned before about the power of creativity to do good and how I think the current climate is people are getting more and more interested in that. So we launched the new pencil, um, the white pencil, which is the first new one in 50 years, and that is going to be awarded to a piece of creative thinking that changes the world for the better. And we felt the trouble with that is you're going to end up judging the causes rather than the work. So we decided that what we would do would be a line behind one brief we're in partnership with Jeremy Gilley, who started the organisation Peace One Day. And so we've briefed the world's creative community, and that is everybody from designers to through, you know, advertisers, filmmakers, to um, institutionalise the 21st of September as an International Day of Peace. The UN have ratified it, so they lay down their arms on the 21st of September, and uh, humanitarian aid goes in and helps victims of war or violence. And it's a, it doesn't have to be actually war, it could be, you know, um, gang violence or bullying. Um, Jeremy got the Taliban to lay down their arms in 2007 and over two million children were inoculated against polio but not enough people know about it, not enough people, enough people are re responding to it so we want to make it sort of like Valentine's Day everybody knows what's happening, they know what to do, they go out and buy their flowers or whatever um, and we felt there's going to be a creative thought that helps push that balance over and, and you know Jeremy's a one-man band going around the world trying to do it for the last 12 years he still hasn't managed so you know he's had pockets but we need to sort of push so that's the brief we're judging in that in October so there's still time to enter I don't know where this is going out but please push it out there um, all the details are on the website so that's that's something I'm really happy about Unilever are now sponsoring that so we've got their commitment for three years to sponsor the white pencil and it will change the you know the the organization will change each year behind what we get behind um, so I'm really thrilled about that to actually promote doing good um, through our creative talents I think is a wonderful thing um, we've also reorganized with um, Tim Lindsay who's now the CEO he's reorganized the structure of DNAD so we've set up a foundation within DNAD which is completely charity. I mean, the whole it's a whole charity. But the problem is, people were muddled about where the money goes. Is it is it supporting the award schemes? Is it paying for the DNAD staff? What's happening? So we've got a foundation within uh, DNAD, which it, all the profits go to education 
to the charity. So if I die, I can leave some money to DNA D's foundation and know that every single penny will go to you know um, educating creatives. Um, so I think that's a ma massive step forward and real clear sign of intent. Um, so that's you know amongst the million other things we've moved they were in a little grotty office in um, Vauxhall they've yes, now gone indeed. to Shoreditch which is amazing <laughs> and it's great to be there because I go there every Wednesday and it's like a, you know I've got Soho and Shoreditch as my places of work which I love because they're quite different um, especially in the sunshine coffee shop in the, the vintage yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, and I think that's great. There's a lot of very talented, committed people that work there. So it's lovely for them to actually be in a place where you can get a lovely coffee. You know, so um, that's um, that's great. And we've got a lot of um, got a lot of things around the 50th celebration in September. So all that later. So looking at uh, looking at the amount of work that's come in uh, for for awards, are the executions as creative? as they used to be or are they are they is creativity uh, better or worse how, w how would you judge it I, I think we are in the most exciting time to be a creative uh, you know when i started if i if i wanted to change a photograph you actually had to hand paint over the photograph if i'd said i want a duck flying backwards singing the national anthem in 3d it would have been totally impossible the the technology the ways of talking to people now are myriad and they just get richer and better and quicker and um, I love it. I, I mean, you know, at what, what creatives, not, what's there not to love? I mean, it really is the most extraordinary time. I think the thing that's also quite stimulating is the, the fact that we are ha really having conversations with consumers. So in the past, the only way I had to understand if my ad was working, other than sales, was to go to the cinema, sit in the cinema and see if people talked all the way through my ad. <laughs> now, you know, I was responsible for Yo Valley. That went out the first break in X Factor. There were nine, there was, uh, um, nine million tweets about it around the world and a million views. And, you, and people write their comments. So you can't hide. So it's scary, really scary, because if you do something people loathe, and of course, you know, always mixed opinions. But that was a good experience because people loved it and, you know, it was very populist. But actually having that access to consumer conversations, I think is really healthy. You can, you know, find out what what people are thinking, but you know, I I, I love the interactive stuff. I, I love the fact that I can just do so much. Now, the the conversation thing there, seeing that the conversation is something that sparks off a, a great piece of content or something that really people find engaging, interesting, fits in with their their passion. And then we've got social media agencies that are starting up to um, to generate conversation. What's your opinion of of that whole? Uh, new part of the industry? I think it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when uh, anything new starts out, there's little start-up things, and then they slowly get amalgamated into, you know, big... I think BB, BBH was started as a factory. John Hengdy always said we're an ideas factory. And I think that will, is what will happen, that you have little, you know, start-ups that try to handle these new conversations because they have to get their head around how they work and what they are, and then gradually they become the norm, and so they will get amalgamated. Like, you know, BBH now, we don't just do... We, we actually won the Webbies um, this year, which I think is a massive uh, step for us, I mean, you know, against all the other digital agencies. And it, it's not a specialisation, it's just another tool in our, in our you know, toolbox. And I, and I think that's 
true of everything really and it, it just takes a little bit of time to get your head around it and not don't get sidetracked by it just understand it and then assimilate it I think god I sound like the bloody death star <laughs> <laughs> so if, if we've got um, all, all these th- this explosion in the last uh, 20 years or so since the webs come around we, we've ended up having more and more media channels and these media channels require different kinds of specialization different kinds of, of specialist knowledge do today's creatives in general, not not pointing finger at BBH, <laughs> do, do, do today's creatives in general have the skills to deal with all this stuff or well, the knowledge? I, I, I don't think you can ask anybody to have all those skills. And I think you do need, you know, specialists within your organisation that we you know, the same way we've got, you know, we have print specialists, we have TV producer specialists you know I, th- I think you have people that love that particular you know arena and become specialists in it so I don't think you can ask people to have a broad and deep knowledge there's, there's too much going on what I do think we should do is behave like consumers so we're all consumers we all know how we like to interact with things and I think one of the, the things we have to watch out as advertisers is in the past we used to engage people um, and they love looking at the ads. We, uh, and I think too much we're interrupting people when they're doing things that they want to do and then you interrupt them. People stop liking you when you do that. So I'm an advertiser. When I want to watch something on YouTube and an ad pops up and I have to watch it before I can watch the content I look at, I'm annoyed by that. And it has the, probably the, the negative effect. So I think we have to be really responsible about how we use the different media and, and think about what does it feel like to be a consumer. I'm going there quickly for some information I want. How do I feel about an advertiser that gets in the way of that? So I think a little bit at the moment it's Emperor's, new, not Emperor's New Clothes, it's, it's the too many toys, let's do that, let's do that, without thinking how it feels to the person that we're talking to. So I think as long as we are mindful about that and you go, of course... We need to interrupt people, but we need to do it in an involving way that's going to surprise and delight and be, you know, add to their day, not just be a bloody frustration. So that that I've probably wandered off the topic, haven't I? A bit. I don't know. No, not uh, uh, You know. So it's it's actually it's a a very interesting thing that that you're saying there because. Um, about 10 years ago, this was something that all the digital agents were, were, were saying. You know, it's the end of interruptive advertising. And they were looking at above-the-line um, agencies and, and saying that they were doing the interruptive stuff. Now it seems as if it's the digital world that is far more interruptive and that has got a lot more of the... Uh, it's, it's, you have to pay the attention tax before you're able to get the, the, the content. Is, is, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, there's a rosy consumer head on. And in fact, I would always say to my clients I wouldn't do that because you see the level of frustration that people have there must be something you can do that is much more involving and and I I think that I think that's why we're in the naive state so if you look at early tv ads they were just print ads on wheels you know and and so they were irritating and annoying and people didn't want to watch them because uh, you know who wants to if you go back and look at them so I think it took time to understand how to engage with people and what they would enjoy, and then we became masters at it. And um, I think we're still at that very early, you know, ads on wheels stage. Um, and I think you know we need to be sensitive about, you know, what's the environment you're in, how are you communicating with people, you know, what are they wanting out of this, what's what are they going to like, what products are appropriate in that, and. We have that information. We, are, you know, more than ever before, we know when, you know, I know when I look at Facebook, the ads that pop up are the things they've they've already targeted what sort of person I am, and they're going to be directed at me. So now, can we make them a little bit more engaging? 
rather than just that irritation. So, uh, you know, I, I think we've got an enormous amount of knowledge. I think we're at the early days and we haven't really, I mean, like, we, we're moving at the speed of light though. So increasingly you see things that do, you know, do push forward. Like, I don't know if you've seen, again, sorry, it's a BBH perspective, but if you've seen the um, ASOS uh, men's catalogue kind of thing online that BBH did, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And you, you kind of, you want to get involved with that. And the technique behind that, have you seen it? It's like you can, st they, it's like men buy clothes, not from fashion shows, they buy it from cool guys yeah. they admire. Um, so they did this urban tour where they found the world's grooviest dancers and then they filmed them dancing um, and in the clothes. But they had it with sort of cameras where you could stop the action and you could move around the clothes and the guys would even wink at you as you're moving around and oh. you could look at the clothes and they would tell you where they were and take you through to, to buying them. So it's a fabulous thing to watch. It's beautifully crafted, and you know, obviously, I'm already on the site because it's, um, you know, I've gone there to look at clothes. But that, I think, you know, that's an example of how you can do something that um, pushes you forward. Or, or maybe more interruptive was our Bernardo's work, which was um, Break the Cycle, which was this whole. There was a TV ad, which was a cycle of, you know, a girl being slapped by her parents, not learning, getting into drugs the dealer using her going into jail and it was this whole sort of cycle and online you could stop by donating you know so you could click in it and that would stop so there's little things like that that I think we're learning about and we're learning how to make them more engaging and we're learning about who's looking at that media what they're doing in it and, and what's going to be acceptable yeah. I've gone on far too long <laughs> but as the with, with the consumer mind on do you do you find like me that you, you very often find yourself screaming swear words in your head when terrible, terrible work comes on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry, Mum. <laughs> Try not to swear. <laughs> but it, but um, the, looking at the general view of stuff, D&AD manages to get the people who do the good stuff to, uh, to, to improve their standard of work and produce even better stuff. But at the bottom of the pile, there's still, still the dross, um, which seems to be the 90%. Do you see that as a problem as well? Yeah, and, and I'm, I think it's sad, actually, because I think, um, you know, clients are spending their money doing that dross, and it's not really working for them, and particularly in the current climate. I think you see a reticence around a lot of clients to do brave work, and it's, that's a real pity because I think in, you know, we've learned, having been through a number of recessions, I'm that old, that actually uh, fortune favours the brave and it's the people who are out there doing the brave work when times are tough that actually build their business and make a reputation and come through. So I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the dross is because of people think that's how advertising's done and that's what I'm going to do and I don't want to break the boundaries. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so they might as well burn their money, I think, in a way. Yeah. There was something, uh, a stat that Steve Henry told me a couple of weeks ago, when he'd found this out at some Google conference, that for every dollar spent on advertising, the return is only 49 cents. So more than half the money in advertising has been wasted. And there's other studies that are showing that uh, trust in advertising is at the lowest point it's ever been. What can the industry do to redress that? Is there anything the industry can do? First thing I think was really interesting, actually, it was William Leverhulme who started Unilever, who said, uh, there was a quote he had about, um, he knew that half his money on advertising was wasted, he just didn't know what half. So I think that was in, what, 1890? Right. So I think it's a truth. So when you're like, wow, 49 cents is the return on your dollar. Yep, that's kind of pretty much standard um, for the last... 120 years so um, 
I'm not entirely sure that that's accurate because I think you kind of go half's wasted, half is sort of dialing things up. And I think when you look at IPA effectiveness and I look at the business of my clients, I, advertising does work. You know, um, big corporate companies are not going to throw their money away on advertising if it doesn't work. You know, I mean, I, I think you just have to go however much the world wants to say it doesn't. It really does. Can you imagine Coca-Cola spending a penny on something that didn't work? You know. That, so uh, I think that's the first thing, and I've forgotten what the question was now. <laughs> I got bogged down with a telephone call and William Leverhulme. Uh, well, is, is, is there anything that the, the industry can do to, to raise the level of trust, oh, trust as well with trust. the consumers? Well, you know, I think it's back to that boring old chestnut I was banging on about a little minute ago. When you are interrupting people with stuff they don't like, they get really fed up. So if you look at how the British public felt about advertising in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. They used to say the advertising break was often better than the programmes. They loved advertising. They really enjoyed it. And it's very interesting. When I'm a, As a creative in the UK, I'm proud to be in advertising because of the history of great advertising in the UK. And people see it as a really great profession and people go, oh, they talk about their ads and they love it. When you go to Los Angeles, you are the filter feeder fish because everybody really wants to be in movies, the advertising generally, although you know you see great advertising in awards shows, when you're actually in America looking at the television programmes, it is universally terrible. You very rarely see a great ad, um, and therefore you're reviled, and, and you, you feel a bit ashamed to be in advertising. And I think the fear is that now, because you know we're not doing great advertising across the media and we become interruptive, we will dilute you know, our reputation because people will get fed up with us. And the problem with that is, if you're an industry that people admire, you attract great talent and people, you know, the really good brains go to you because it's a good thing to do and you can talk to your mates and you can see there's good work and, you know, that's attractive package. If it's, you know, I know if I was in LA, I probably would go, hmm, I think I'm going to use advertising as a step to doing something else because it's just that sort of that's where all the other groovy people are. They're not in advertising, they're in something else. Um, and I think, you know, we, we need to redress that. We need to be very mindful that we, we could dilute the whole industry if we don't pick up our game across media. And I'm sure that it's, you know, it's probably the, the, the explosion of all these different things that we can now play with and having to get our heads around them. And we have to, I think we just have to do that quickly, which yeah. I think we are. I think we are. I mean, look at that Greenpeace work I talked about, you know. So just need to make sure we don't dilute it all too much. Yeah. This, this, one of the things that I talk about a lot is this idea of cross-media work, um, where very often it's done where you take the same assets and you shove it across everything. So you take the press ad and you put it in a silly space for a banner, yeah. make it interactive, animated. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and you, you take the, the, a still from the TV ad and put it in a poster. And, and that's a real sort of pea-brained attempt at integration. The, the true cross-media thinking is when you use each media channel for its absolute strength. Yes. Um, is, is that something that you think that the industry should be looking at and addressing? I think we are. I think... I think um it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think quite often there's... When I look at the way clients' um, organisations are run, I think it's very difficult for them. You know, uh, you have teams of committed people around the world who say, this will work in our market and this is what we want. So I think quite often, you know, it's the number of people trying to do the number of things, you know, and, and 
that, that, that bring this kind of craziness around. And you need kind of a benign creative dictatorship who goes, no, we're not going to do that. And I think, I think it's almost impossible to be head of a major corporation and have that level of um, interest and uh, power over all your different markets. And, it's, and so what I see is you get great inspirational leaders who go, what we need to do is this, you know, this, and I'm going to ask the markets to run this, but they're going to have the opportunity to, to roll it out in their market as they see fit. And they need to do that to empower the people in that particular market. But the problem with that is quite often you get naive markets or you get naive marketing executives who just go, we'll take that and put it across everything. And it's cheaper, and you know. So I think that's what happens. It's this sort of filtered down. So from our from a creative perspective, you go, why are they doing that? But it's just because I've now got old enough and grey enough to be in in and understand actually the structure of trying to run an international bit of business. And I think there will always be a bit of that. You know, I think there will be. So if you were thinking of getting into the industry now, in the state it's in at the moment, would you still be attracted to the industry? Yes, yes. I, uh, if I haven't, I feel I must have been sounding really negative because I, you know, I think, one, you have, you really got the power to change the way people think and you can use that for the good. So, you know, we've got Bernardo's here. There's a lot of things that we're doing that, you know, so you can, you can have a social agenda if you wish, but it's so much fun and you can talk to people in so many different ways. And, you know, the opportunity to work with the best film director, the best photographer, you know, the best digital game designer I mean wow why, why wouldn't you want to do that yeah. <laughs> and you travel and you know you work with you know when I I have to say when I look at where I work the people I work with um, and I compare it to contemporaries I'm so lucky you know it's so much fun and it's there's such lovely people and um, yeah you know it's I, I think it's still one of the best industries in the world yeah so, so if you had any advice for people trying to get into the industry at the moment who are maybe at college or maybe still at school and sort of thinking about the advertising industry, what advice would you give them? I would say don't neglect your craft skills. You need, you need to be able to back up your thinking. And, you know, whether the, I, I, it's almost like we, we keep finding kind of writers that can't write and art directors that can't art direct. And just because you go, I'm going to be a digital or whatever, you need whatever your area of love is you need a core understanding of what that is so you know if you want to be a writer you need to write go on a writing course do english do what read lots of books do something that says you can actually string a sentence together and spell if you're you know an art director i think you need to understand typography um you, you need to understand how a layout works because too often we get you know people who can think well but then they have no other skills and there's always somebody else who can think well who's got those skills. So I, I would urge you to do that. You know, I think um, I, th I think you need more than just ideas. Brilliant. Rosie, you've been so generous with your time. Thank yeah. you very much oh, indeed. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed these special edition podcasts. Please drop me a line if there's anyone else you'd like me to talk to on your behalf. The podcast will now resume abnormal service and come out sporadically on a monthly-ish kind of basis with big gaps and stuff. Thank you for listening. Beep. The Future of Advertising podcast is brought to you by Additive, the marketing industry's most inspiring training company. Find out more about our talks, workshops and inspiration sessions at getadditive.com and get one third of your first booking by joining our mailing list. Shh.